Good morning, good morning. Good to see you all on this beautiful, sunny morning. Wow, it is just great out there. Uh, I had fantastic weather in Florida, if you're wondering. So uh, every day was sunny and beautiful. Got to see uh, all of our kids that are down there. So we have five kids down there, six former interns down there. I think there's six kids from Suburban Connections down there. So I spent my week just running all over the place trying to uh, catch up with those kids. I preached seven times in four days, so that was fun and uh, had a great time, really did. Glad to be home, but we did have a, it was a wonderful time to, to just fellowship with those folks down there. If this is your first time visiting, if you please stop by the visitor welcome center out there. We have a gift for you. If you're visiting online for the first time, if you'd scan that code and let us know that you're out there watching, that's always an encouragement to our hearts to know that somebody's listening out there. Uh, if you would like to help serve as an usher, please see Ken McKinney. We need some help with ushering. That's always a help. Rekindle is coming up. We relive a day of camp here. It's on Saturday uh, on October the 7th, and it starts in the morning. We play three camp kind of games. We should have about 125, 150 kids here, teenagers, and uh, we'll play camp games, meaning everybody plays, and then we have three preaching services, and uh, Brent Gellis will be preaching for us. He's an evangelist, and we serve him lunch. Uh, it's a great time. If you just want to come and watch and listen to the preaching, you're welcome to do that. Uh, if you're a teenager, we want you to come, bring somebody with you. We'd love to just, you know, blow out all of the, uh, all of the expectations of, of uh, a number of kids. So we'll have plenty of people here. We have a good, solid group of uh, volunteers that keep coming back every year, and I just saw my son take off running. I guess everything's okay. I don't know. Uh, nobody else is panicking, so okay, whatever. But anyway, we'd love to have you. And then the Moors, Josh and Annie Moore, are in Ireland. They have several things that they talk about in their last newsletter. One, they want us to know that they're having another little one in March. Uh, they're due, so pray for them. I think this will be number four for them. Uh, they're in Ireland serving. They do, um, they call it... Um, holiday camp. We call it Vacation Bible School here. Uh, they call it holiday camp, and uh, they had a great holiday camp. Then they had an outing where they did um, witnessing with their church people went out, and so uh, they uh, you have to just read the prayer letter to get all of this in, but they had an encounter with three men who just challenged and challenged and challenged, and honestly, in the end, they said, you know, would you... Uh, would you give us 90 seconds now to tell you, you know, what we would like to talk to you about? And they gave the gospel to them. Uh, those men were not interested at all. But having said all of that, when that was done, somebody else came over and said, I've been listening to what you've been talking about. And uh, that person showed a real interest. They gave them a Bible, a tract, shared the gospel with them. It was a real connection for them. So uh, just a great challenge for them. They're excited about what the Lord's doing there in Ireland, so just continue to uh, pray for them. I know that they would appreciate it. Let's have the men come. We're going to take up our morning offering, and uh, then we'll have a word of prayer and ask Rob to pray. If you would, please pray for the Moors in Ireland and pray God's blessing upon uh, our service today as well, if you would, please. Our dear Holy Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come here today to hear your word. I pray that you would open our hearts, our souls, to what you would have for us. Lord, be with Pastor as he preaches. Give him the distinct words that you would have us to hear. And again, allow our hearts to be open. I pray for the Moors in Ireland. Thank you for the ministry they have there, for the, um, the new child on the way. I pray that you would just be with the pregnancy that all would go well, but be with their ministry as they have the opportunity to share your word with the people of Ireland. Thank you again for your love and care for us. And I just pray that you would be with us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Mary. If you would stand with me, we're going to sing this morning about Christ's work and what he did on the cross. So we're going to start by saying three verses of And Can It Be.
To those of the congregation which are able, please stand for the reading of sacred scripture. The epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Romans, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. May the Lord prosper his word, whereto he sent it. You may be seated. A verse says that we have all come short of the glory of God, and so it's nothing of our own righteousness that we can do. We talked about that last week with our filthy rags being our righteousnesses, and yet we have his robes of righteousness when we trust in him. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to sing the first verse and chorus together, and the second verse is just going to be the ladies for the, for the verse, and then the guys will join in the chorus, and then the third verse, guys will sing the verse, and then the ladies will join us on the chorus, and then the fourth verse, all of us together. All right? I'll, I'll help direct so you don't have to try to remember all that. So let's sing all four verses, but all of us together on the first. His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered need of praise. Draped in His righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place He died. I cling to Christ and marvel at the call. Jesus forsake. God's beloved, condemned as though it's 
Thank you, guys. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. It is an interesting phrase in the scripture, and the Bible doesn't say it this way. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God, right? That's what the Bible says. And the, uh, the interesting turn of that is, uh, and I think this is really the way it is, if we are not still, then we cannot know that he is God, right? Be still and know. So if we're not still, guess what? We can't really get to... And that concept of that song, just learning how to slow down and spend some time with God, it's not easy in the 21st century, is it? We can get things done faster than we've ever been able to do before, and we still don't have enough time to get them all done. I don't know what it is, and so fitting in time with God is often very difficult for us. Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to be. Um, There's a concept about Christ that I can't explain, and I'm glad that I can't explain it. We have a God that we do not understand, right? And everybody knows that that is a comfort. You agree? If God was understandable, then that means that God and I would have to be equal. That God, for me to understand God, I either have to be equal to him or I have to be greater than him. I can understand everything that's beneath me. I can understand everything that's beside me. But things that are beyond my ability, you know, if you start talking to me about trigonometry and you start talking to me about calculus and you start talking, I took those classes in high school and quickly forgot them. And that's on purpose. And I, I, you start talking to me about them and I'll just smile and nod. I don't get it, right? I don't get it. And then there's a lot beyond that that I really don't get. That's okay. Uh, God's like that. He is much greater than I am, and so I don't understand a lot. But one of the things that is really hard to comprehend is this thing called the Incarnation, where Christ, God, Son of God, God in flesh, came to this earth and took upon himself the form of a human being. And everything that happens from that point on is just difficult to understand. He never ceases to be God, right? He's God in flesh, but... Having said that, the Bible describes Jesus as growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, right? How how does God grow in wisdom if he knows everything, right? But yet he's God in flesh, and that incarnation is that he veiled his his deity in, in flesh, and so I don't get a lot of it. I don't. Uh, there's this concept uh, in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read Philippians 2 for you. You can stay in Matthew chapter 26. Well, Philippians 2, verse 7 says, talking about Christ, but made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and look what it says, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he became obedient. He humbled himself he humbled himself to the will of the Father. Do you remember when Christ is in, is in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm sorry, Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, you know, he's praying. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he says a phrase that doesn't make sense in the concept of Jesus being God, but it's, again, it's beyond our capabilities to understand all that, that there is about this God of ours. But Jesus goes on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So, in his, in his flesh, Jesus had a will that perhaps differed from the Father, but he became obedient. He surrendered his will to the will of the Father. Explain that, Pastor. I can't. I can't explain it. He's God. He's man. It's an, it's an amazing thing. That all being said leads me to what I want to talk to you about today, and that is this concept that we we throw this phrase around almost nonchalantly in our Christian circle. We say, Jesus loves me. And we don't fully understand what it means for Christ to love us, to take upon himself the fashion of a man, and then to submit himself to the death of the cross. 
and I want to walk us through that today. Just a fr- it's not anything, nothing, there's nothing new today, nothing that you haven't heard a thousand times over, probably uh, a thousand Easter's over that you haven't heard again and again. But I want us to comprehend the depth of the love of Jesus Christ for our souls. Father, as we look at your son today and his love for us and his willingness to do what was necessary to purchase our salvation, God, may we be reminded, humbled at his great love for us. And if there's someone here this morning that does not know your son as their savior, God, I pray that today they would recognize just how desperately they are loved. And your desire is to give them a wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we'll thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are now in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Verse 56. We're almost to the end of the chapter. Uh, close to it. Verse, verse 56 says, But all this was done, Jesus talking, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, of the, I mean, of the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then here's the first thing. Now, what, what I want to do is, I'm just going to kind of walk us through this last day, where Christ literally the night before said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I am willing to become obedient. Even to the death of the cross. Can I paraphrase all of this for us? Jesus is saying to the Father, if we can purchase salvation for mankind in any other way, would you please let it happen? But, if not, I'm willing to submit, to humble myself, to become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And that's where this story picks up. And we're going to walk ourselves through what Jesus suffered just on this one day. This does not account for the 33 years that he lived on this planet and had to endure people like you and I. You know, it doesn't. Remember, on several occasions, Jesus said, "How long must I?" I'm going to make up the phrase. I can't remember, but he used the phrase, "How long? How long must I endure this?" Right? Must I put up with your unbelief? Must I put up with your lack of faith? Must I put up with, you know, all of this? And then Jesus is rejected again and again throughout the the, the uh, his time on this earth. But we get to this last this last event, and uh, here's where it starts in verse 26 or chapter 26, verse 56. Uh, I mean, it, at least the. Uh, the part that shows us how much he loves us. Verse 56 says this, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. That's how it starts. The story starts with, we're all out of here. Man, we just need to understand, when Jesus became obedient to the death of the cross, he went it alone. People who he had spent time with, invested in, whom he loved, uh, John, the apostle, uh, is the only one who uses this phrase, but he uses it often when he refers to himself in, in the Gospel of John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it does not mean that, God, that Jesus loved John more or better than the other disciples. It's this, the idea is that John was overwhelmed with the idea that Jesus loved him. And so every time John would talk about himself, he would say, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom he was just overwhelmed with it. I want us today to become overwhelmed with how much God loves us. And it starts right here as Jesus you know, begins this process and everybody takes off and Jesus is going it alone. Go down to verse 66. Ten verses down, if you would, please. What think ye? They answered, he is guilty of death. Now they're talking about Jesus, right? He is guilty of death. And look at verse 67. See where it starts. Then they spit in his face. Now we know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that Jesus is God in flesh. And yet, this crowd, not this crowd, but this crowd that was reading about here, has the audacity to spit in the face of God. And I would be really angry at them Except, I remember my own life. <laughs> you know? 
the times in which God said, John, you ought to do this, and I said, I don't think so. And in essence, spit in the face of God. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want me to do. I want to do my own thing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And this is us. So as we're looking at this crowd, let's not separate ourselves too far from it. Say, Pastor, I've never spit on the face of God. Well, if you've ever rejected his offer to you, yes, we have. But that's how this starts. They spit in his face. And keep reading. And buffeted him. That means they hit him. They hit him. Uh, and they just pushed him around and kept mocking at him and those kind of, and they smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, "Prophesy to us, thou Christ, who is it that smote thee?" You know, so uh, they they just uh, they just didn't care what he was doing there, what it meant. Um, so that begins this story. Skip down, if you would, please, to verse 26 of the next chapter. Chapter 27, verse 26. Again, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just saying we throw around so casually, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We, and we've learned it since we were little kids. And sometimes I think we don't fully understand what it means for Christ to have submitted himself to the death of the cross. In fact, the Bible says to death even the death of the cross. Like God even sets it apart like it's worse than just death, even the death of the cross. In chapter 27, verse 26, it says this, Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, and you know this, I've shared this story with you many times, but listen up one more time, all right? So the Roman soldiers. Have you, how many of you have been to, to the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum? So several of you in here have been to Rome and the Roman If you ever get a chance to go, it's worth it's Rome is worth the trip. It really is. But um they built the Colosseum, which is still a marvelous building. I mean it is just incredible. It was I don't know if you're aware of this, but it had a retractable roof. Uh the Colosseum was way advanced for its time. Now that retraction was done by slave power, but it was I'm just serious, but it was there. It had a retractable roof. And it was a phenomenal building. They built it primarily so that they could watch people die as a sport. They would, they would just watch people die. And people would pay money or whatever and go in and sit and watch people die. And the, uh, you know, the emperor would decide you know, whether or not they're going to live or die and all that kind of stuff. It was, just, it was craziness. I say this to say that the Romans knew how to inflict pain. And the idea of this was that if you if you came to watch somebody die and it was over in you know three minutes, kind of a waste of money, right? I mean that's the way it was viewed. So what they would do instead was make sure that this wasn't over in just three minutes. They had perfected the concept of suffering, perfected the concept of torture to bring someone to the brink of death without killing them. And so there was even like this concept with using the scourge that they would only, you know, use 39 lashes with the scourge because they were afraid that the 40th one would be the one that would, would do them in. They, they, and so there was a science to the, their approach to this, to this torture. And, and you understand, you know, this is, this is historical, not necessarily found in this story, uh, but a scourge was typically done with what was known as a cat of nine tails. And the idea is that you'd have a stick, uh, and on the end of that stick were nine separate whips that went out from that, that stick. That would be the nine tails. And they would, because they wanted to inflict you know, a, a maximum amount of torture, they would take one of those uh, whips and they would braid into it uh, pieces of broken pottery and another one piece of broken glass, another one piece of broken metal. And, and so that the idea was that when that... When those nine whips came down across your back, it didn't just leave welts. Have you ever? How many of you, most? How many of you grew up in cowboys and Indians time? And that's okay. So some of us, you have to go back a little bit. Now it's not. It's politically incorrect. I know, but back back in the day, we did. And all of us who did, you probably had a whip. 
uh, at some point you got a whip, right? And you'd try to crack that whip, crack that whip. Have you ever had that whip hit you alongside the face or smack you in the back or, you know, you crack it and it cracks right there on your cheek and, man, it leaves this big welt and, you know, you think you'd learn your lesson, but you didn't. You just pick it up and just go at it again because you're trying to, you know, you just want to make that great cracking sound that they always have in the movies. You know, ah, that was so cool. And uh, so the idea is that that welt would hurt, but these whips didn't leave a welt. These whips didn't just smack them. These whips grabbed onto flesh and tore it. And if you can imagine one lash with nine whips and um, what it would do to that person's back. There are accounts of these things not written in the Bible, not the account of Jesus, account of others, to where, you know, they would tie the person to poles and then they would begin this process of 39 lashes. And by the time you've gone to 10, 15, 20 lashes, there's flesh hanging. 25 lashes, and you begin to see ribs poking through. You begin to see organs coming out. 30 lashes. And as they would bring it around, it would wrap around the body and rip, and wrap around the body and rip. There's a description in Isaiah that says that his visage, his the way he looked was so marred that he no longer looked like a human being. There's a point at which we can't fathom it. We just can't. It's, uh, it was cruel and brutal. It was intended to bring maximum pain without bringing death. And this is the first real thing that happens to Christ. He's spit on, he's buffeted, he's hit in the face, and now he's scourged. And we say, nonchalantly, Jesus loves me, this I know. But when Jesus loves us, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's keep going. Verse 29 I'm sorry, verse 28 says this. And they stripped him, which means little, really, in the scheme of things, until you understand that you know, the, the stripping of him is to, to bring shame to him, right? They're trying to embarrass, humiliate the God of the universe. The God of the universe stands naked in front of the crowd. Think this through. They stripped him, put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they're, they're, they're about to mock him for being king, king of the Jews. And they make a crown of thorns, and I can't prove any of this. This is all just me talking, all right? This is me talking. Here's what I know. I know what you've got are a group of people who are trying to inflict pain. That's what you've got. They're trying to cause harm and hurt, Right? Now, I have, you can go in my office and look, it's up there on the counter, I think, in the back of the room, but I have a crown of thorns made with thorns like they have growing over there, and it is one nasty piece of, I mean, it's just, it looks painful. And so there's thorns just coming out all over. And what I don't see is them going over to Jesus and delicately putting this crown of thorns on his head. I don't see that. But even had they done that, you'll see why it doesn't matter. But I believe they literally walked over and set. When I say set, I mean like in stone. Set that crown of thorns on his head. It's cutting into his flesh. If you've ever had a head wound or ever seen one, you know how much blood they can produce. And this gets ugly 
very quickly as they placed the crown of thorns on his head. A reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then verse 30, they spit on him again. And now they take the reed. Now, see, regardless of how they put the crown of thorns on there, things are going to change right now. Because now they take the reed. And the reed would be like you and I might think of a cane pole, right? It's not like, it's not really like um, a cattail. That's a reed type of thing. But it would be more like a cane pole. We have bamboo that grows wild out here in this front bush. If anybody wants some bamboo, please take it. You'll hate me for the rest of my life, but that's okay. Take it. It grows wild, and it will get 15, 20 feet tall if you just let it go, and it's just one big, long thing, just like a, just like a cane pole, and it's a reed. And when they, when they mature, they are hard. And they take this reed, the Bible says, and they begin to hit him on the head. Now think about this. What's on his head? Now, in my mind, this is just my mind. The Bible doesn't say it. But something's happening to that crown of thorns, right? Something's happening. And each time they're hitting him on the head, I imagine one of those thorns just kind of pokes right through his eyebrow, goes down and sticks into his cheek. His ears begin to tear off the side of his head. And we say, Jesus loves me. Like it means nothing. And he's not even to the cross yet, folks. He's not even to the cross yet. The story continues. It says, after that, they mocked him. They took the robe off of him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. Skip down, if you would, please, to verse 34. They gave him vinegar mingled with gall to drink. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now, just think about drinking vinegar for a moment. Think about, uh, if you've ever tried this, if you're going to try it at home, you should use like an apple cider vinegar. Don't use white vinegar. It's much stronger even, but in an apple cider vinegar, and I would tell you you want to use less than a teaspoon because it's going to take your breath away. You ever had vinegar? You ever tried? It's like, whew, it's supposed to be good for you. Some of you might actually drink it because it's supposed to be good for you. My grandmother lived in, lived to be 90. She drank pickle juice. Okay, go for it. I don't know. Uh, but the Bible says he wouldn't drink it. Um, and then, it's, then the, here's, here's what it says. Here's what it says. And they crucified him. That's it. That's what it says. And they crucified him. Now, if you know the story, and you have to put the, all four of the gospel accounts together to understand all this, but how long does Jesus hang on the cross? Six hours total on the cross, right? So nine hours for this whole thing, six hours on the cross. And so here's Jesus. I mean, it's a lot of time hanging on the cross. The Bible just says, and they crucified him. Now, here's what I, again, this is me talking. I don't know. I don't know. We have other accounts of crucifixions because crucifixion is historical. It's not just something that happened for Jesus, right? It was something that happened historically. In fact, with Jesus, there are two other guys being crucified at the same time. So it's historical. And my understanding is that they would, they would attach them to the cross on the ground, stand the cross, up, because it would be hard to hold somebody up there while you're trying to attach them to the cross, right? Stand the cross up by a hole, and then they would begin to kick the cross, and, and it would go over and drop down to the hole. And that's how it would stay up. That's my understanding of it. Here's what I don't believe. I don't believe when they got to the top of that hill, Jesus was fighting them. The Bible says he surrendered himself. He became obedient to the death of the cross. And I don't believe what you have are guards trying to go over and hold Jesus down. I, in my mind, I really see it this way. Jesus walks over to the cross, lays himself on it, presents himself. He became obedient even to the death of the cross. 
nail me here. They nail Christ to the cross. They stand him up. They begin to kick that over. In the book of Psalms 22, it says that every one of his bones was pulled out of socket. And I believe here is when it happened. When all of a sudden, his whole weight is on his feet and on his shoulders and on his hands. His back is bloodied and laid open. His head is bloodied and bruised. His eyes are probably swollen shut, his lips, his nose, all of these things. And for the next six hours, he hangs, bleeding. This is not historical. This is medical. You can actually do this at home. I'm not suggesting you do. But go stand in a doorway and just start pushing as hard as you can with your arms and don't stop. One of two things is going to happen. Have somebody there with you. Because if you don't stop, you're going to pass out. Now, it may take a while. It may take minutes, hour even. But if you just keep pushing, because what's happening is your body is doing what your body was made to do. And it starts feeding all of the muscles that are pushing against that door frame. And your lungs or your chest muscles are filling up with blood to hold that weight there. And now that blood is constricting your ability to breathe. And so you breathe out and your muscles tighten. You breathe in as much as you can, but you can't breathe in as much. And you breathe out and your muscles tighten. And eventually you'll pass out. So to keep that from happening... On the cross, the people who were hanging on the cross would put all of their weight on their arms and they would hold it and they would hold it and they would hold it and then their body would be screaming for air and they would push up with their feet. They can breathe. And all of the weight is on their feet. And they hold it as long as they can, as long as they can, then they go back down to their arms. And for six hours, that's why on these kinds of crucifixions, the nail holes would become gaping wounds as it's working its way back and forth in the wrist, in the, in the feet. It becomes gaping wounds as they're holding that weight. And all this time while Jesus is hanging here, he says things like this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we say, Jesus loves me. Casually. Not understanding sometimes what it means for the Son of God to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So when I tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know what it means to have your sins forgiven, let me tell you, how much love it took to even offer salvation to you. It took Christ, Son of God, taking upon Himself the form of flesh and then becoming obedient even to the death of the cross. And He loved John Ray so much. And I, I know... Biblically speaking, this is a reality. If the only person in all of history who would ever have trusted Christ was John Ray, Christ would have become obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Because he loved me that much. And he loves you that much. And through his death, he offers a payment for our sin debt. Because all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, and without God's intervention, we can't do anything to get rid of our sin. God steps in, pays our sin debt. The Bible says, He, the Father, made Him the Son to be sin for us. His wrath was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And through Christ, 
we can be forgiven. When we hear the phrase, Jesus loves me, let's let it sink in a little bit. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Say, Pastor John, I know for a fact there's been a time when I trusted what Jesus Christ did on the cross as the payment for my sin. And Pastor, if I died today, I know I would go to heaven. I'm, I often maybe need to be reminded of how much he loves me, but the truth is, Pastor, I know that I've trusted him. As testimony to that, would you slip your hand up and let me see that so I can rejoice with you? Thank you, hands across the place. Thank you. Maybe there's someone here say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Truth is, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not certain. I would go to heaven. I'm concerned about my soul. Can I just remind you how desperately God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son? And that son loved you so much as to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he did all of that for one purpose, to provide salvation for your soul. Right now, right where you're sitting, you can place your faith, your confidence, your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross not for my sins only, but for the sins also of the whole world, the Bible says. So that you might have eternal life. You can trust what he did as the payment for your sin. Right now, right where you're sitting. The Bible says, who says the call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ask, ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and save you. And a God who cannot lie keeps his promise. Put your faith, your confidence in what he did. And a God who cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He will keep his promise. He will. He'll keep his promise. He loves you that much. So right now, right where you're sitting, would you do that? Lord, please forgive me and save me. Would you take care of that today? No one else is looking around. just you, me, and the Lord. I just want to rejoice with you, pray for you. Say, Pastor John, sitting here this morning, best I know how, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to be the payment for my sin. Would you just look up at me for just a moment and make eye contact with me so I can see that? Did you mean that? Amen. God's not a liar. Amen. Anyone else? Make sure I see you. I'm looking. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these two. God, I pray that you would just give them that confidence now that you keep your word. That you have forgiven their sin debt and given them eternal life because they placed their faith in your son and his death as the payment for their sin. God, help us to grow in your grace now. Remind us often this week of your great love for our souls. And Father, we will thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The altar's open to you. If you want to talk to someone about this, we'll meet you down front. If you just want to come and thank the Lord for what he's done, that's up to you. Whatever the Lord's worked in your heart, you step out and let the Lord have his way, would you? I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Amen. I appreciate your kind attention. Thank you so much for that. Uh, tonight, 6 o'clock, be back. We'll have our evening service. We're looking tonight uh, in the evening service we're looking at how we can add power to an already powerful gospel. Uh, it's an unusual thing. 
uh, how God has just allowed us, our, our lives, to impact a powerful gospel. And so we'll talk about another aspect of that tonight. Anything else I'm supposed to be announcing? There's no choir practice, correct? So, uh, choir, you get the day off, so I don't know what else to tell you. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, give you peace. Wait a minute. Thank you, appreciate it. You are dismissed. God bless. (laughs)